Welcome to Galaxy Forum. I'm your host, Melissa Kaplan, and we're here to explore the creativity happening in the LCC galaxy, in our classrooms and on campus, and connecting the work of our stars with our community. Today we're talking about history, not of a particular period or around a specific event, but the study of history and its value to students and to the community. I am so delighted to welcome my guests, David Seawick and Bill Castanier. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Uh, Before we get into our discussion, I want to just share a little bit of background with our listeners uh, about each of you. So David has taught history at LCC for over 15 years, including Michigan history, U.S. history, and historiography, which is the study of historical methods. He's also a project manager and instructional designer in LCC's corporate training division. His degrees in history come from Central Michigan University, where he earned a master's, and from the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, Scotland, where he received a postgraduate diploma. His research interests include U.S. and British labor and immigration history, and he recently researched the Black Legion in Michigan in the 1930s. Originally from Kalamazoo County, David has lived in the city of Lansing for many years and considers it to be his adopted hometown. Bill Castanier is a historian devoted to local and literary history. He's president of the Historical Society of Greater Lansing, and he's lectured extensively on Michigan literary history. Over the last 20 years, he's interviewed over a thousand authors for his Lansing City Pulse literary column. Bill spent more than 50 years in public relations, advertising, and the newspaper industry, writing thousands of speeches and media releases, producing award-winning videos, editing numerous publications, and he says, when necessary, donning bear and chicken costumes to promote events. And I hope there are pictures to document that, Bill. (laughs) I hope there aren't. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good piece of history. Bill has also worked in state government uh, and... It was as deputy director of the state's sesquicentennial celebration in 1986 and 1987 that really contributed to his great love of history. Welcome to both of you. Oh, thank you very much. And I, I just want to add, today's Michigan's birthday, 185th year since it was established as a state. So happy, birthday. happy birthday, Michigan. Yes, happy birthday, Michigan. That is that is pretty impressive. Um, and to tie that date, since this this uh, uh, folks may listen to this at a different time, that is January twenty sixth. Right. Wonderful. I know we want to talk about the Historical Society of Greater Lansing, and we want to talk about LCC's programs. Uh, one thing that that where I'd like to start is one thing I've been thinking about is a lot of students who I talk to who aren't pursuing history as a major are not always happy when they need to take a history class. And um, both of you have a love of history and not only David teaching it in the classroom, but doing all kinds of research outside of that. Why, why do you think that, uh, uh, history has that uh, response from from some students and and, uh, that they don't want to study history. History has gotten a bad rap over history, but I think one of the reasons is they've probably grown up memorizing dates, facts, and places, and that's pretty darn boring. 
and never really get to the backstories, which is where the excitement is. You know, it's just not the generals, it's just not the presidents, it's not the uh, leaders in our community necessarily, it's average people. And when you start delving into their history, it resonates with individuals. Because then they understand my family has a history too, meaning them, of course. And they might start looking into it. And I think there's generally in this country right now, um, a lot of people doing that, doing genealogy research and finding out things that they didn't know or want to know about their family in some cases. So I think it, it behooves the professors or whoever's teaching these classes to try to bring it down to a level where they connect with individuals in a personal way. That makes a lot of sense because when I was thinking about this episode and I was thinking about talking with both of you, I thought about my experience with history, which is uh, when I look back, you know, on my school days, it was, I don't remember those dates. And that is probably part of the, the, the challenge. And David, how, uh, what Bill is saying about making it individually relevant, how are you able to apply that in the classes that you teach? Sure, it's a great question. And, and I will um, really echo Bill. Uh, I think that he covered pretty much a lot of the reasons why students may not find it to be the most interesting subject. And what I try to do is to, and I've said this to my students before, to remember to keep the story in history. It sounds kind of nerdy, but it, it's really true. I, and if you, can, if you can get students to look at it as a story, no different than watching a movie or reading a book, or even some of the role-playing video games that many students are into, I think that uh, opens up a different way of looking at it that goes beyond the, the memorization of dates and facts, which gets you a head full of dates and facts, but doesn't exactly impress upon them the story aspect of it. And, and using local history for me, um, or state history, even in the U.S. history courses that I teach. So, of course, I teach a Michigan history class, uh, as you mentioned in, in the intro there, Melissa. But I also teach U.S. history courses and, and really do try to bring local stuff into those classes, connect it to the national narrative of the time we're looking at. And that gives students an opportunity to really personalize you know, the learning of those subjects. And, and one example I can offer you is the, the Michigan history class that I teach that uh, rather than give the students a final exam, what I had them do is throughout the semester work on a research project. It's a subject of their choosing. Over the years, about 90% of them have chosen to write the history of their hometown, which is great. Uh, they really get into it, and then they get a chance to present the findings themselves to, cl to the class at the end of the semester. And probably the most rewarding moments I've ever had in all the years I've been teaching is watching those students present to the class because to see them really get excited about something that is allowing them to look at a topic in a way that they hadn't before, you know you're engaging them and, and you're moving beyond the, the you know, generals and presidents memorizing facts and dates version of history, which has its use, of course, but you know, we try to localize it, it makes them more interested in it. That's wonderful. What a, what a great project uh, for uh, your class. Um, that's exciting to to hear about, and it's really gratifying to hear that they that they get really excited about sharing that. Um, and so that's that's your Michigan history class. Correct, it is. And I I do other stuff though um, for all the history classes that I teach, Michigan and U.S. Uh, 
well, pre-pandemic anyway, since it changed a little bit now, but in, I've always get taken my students out on field trips. And sometimes people think of a field trip as more something you would do in, in uh, elementary or middle school, but I take them on field trips. Uh, this area has lots of local history that you don't have to do anything but walk around and open your eyes to notice. My walking tours of downtown have been something I've done with my students pretty much the entire time I've taught at LCC. Uh, I take them out to the Nakoma Center in uh, Okemos, which is Native American Heritage Center. I've taken them to the Michigan Women's Historical uh, Museum and Hall of Fame when that was downtown um, by the uh, old Oldsmobile plant, where the GM plant is now, um, and other local areas and, and stuff that my students can really find engaging. And, and again, that's, that's helping them personalize something and, and in many ways see it and sometimes hold it in their hand. I can imagine um, the impact that that has to actually see the buildings and see the exhibits and uh, be in, you know, be in a place that very much in the present, but have some understanding of the decades that uh, have come before and their impact on on the community. Um, I interested in in talking about local history in just a sec uh, and bringing you bill on that um, and what the S- historical society does um, but I want to just get a little better idea of for the student who's coming in as a major the student who already knows that they are interested in history uh, I know we have several degrees that they can pursue here David um, can you talk a little bit about those and and uh, do typically students then transfer to four-year schools to pursue history further sure I'm glad to talk about that um, kind of to answer your second question first typically speaking they do transfer to a four-year university um, when they're after the associates degree in history which is a degree Lansing Community College offers and there are a couple reasons for that, uh, one of which is history is one of those um, subjects that typically you need a bachelor's degree to work in the field. Uh, many of the students that are history majors end up becoming teaching majors, and they become history teachers in high schools or middle schools. Some of them become elementary school teachers, and they have the, the history area that they have focused on at one point in their studies. So. That's one of the reasons why that uh, they would typically transfer over to university. But even for our students that major in history here and get an associate's degree, sometimes what they discover is the skill sets that they're learning in a history course can be applied to other things. And that may lead them to pursue a different bachelor's degree if they do transfer to another university, or they may discover that, wow, some of the skill sets I've learned in taking history courses such as research and writing and presentation can really help me in, in other areas of my life and perhaps even in pursuing a different type of career. So I, I of course, encourage them to, to become historians because it's something near and dear to my heart. But I also try to encourage the students who come into class that are history majors to think about how they can apply the skill sets that we're learning uh, to other things that they may end up doing. That's incredibly valuable because it, it – uh really layers uh, the value of what 
they're studying. And it's not just in the moment, the learning of the history, but the, the value, like you said, of those those skills and their applicability. Um, I just want to mention, I know we have three degrees, uh, associate's degrees at LCC in African-American history, in American studies, and in the general history. And those all can lead to uh, transferring to four-year schools. So, Bill, I'll uh, as president of the Historical Society of Greater Lansing, tell us a little bit about the mission of the society and, and some of the current projects. Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. The mission is probably what you can expect is to learn more about the history of the Greater Lansing area. And our mission um, includes, though, as seen through the lives of average people. Um, we don't discount the Arioles or others who were important in not only the founding, but in, you know, seeing where Lansing is today. But we try to focus on what average people were going through at certain times when they lived here. And that's been really successful. And we do, this is all pre-COVID, but we do, we typically did probably about 10 walking tours in a summer. Um, we also did about 30 programs during the year. So we were really vibrant. We're missing that. But we would do programs on things that pertain to local history. But in all those programs, the application of how they impacted on the national scheme of things were always taught. Um, for program or projects we're working on currently, we're finishing up the Pave the Way project. And Pave the Way was a look at the um, African-American experience of when the expressway went through. And that project has had a lot of spinoffs on things that we discovered. But that would include things like the Great Migration and how do families get here. We're talking about expanding that. Uh, we learned a lot about the Great Migration of African Americans, but one of the things we want to do is ask and discover, where did people come from? How did your family get here? And I think that's important to people to connect with their family and how they ended up in not only the United States, but in Michigan. You know, did they come across the land? Did they come by boat? I mean, we just don't know. And I mean by boat from the Erie Canal. Mm -hmm. um, and that's so incredibly important for people to have. I mean, it, it ties so directly, David, to what you were doing, uh, making the application, making the connection as individuals uh, for people to understand where they, they came from and uh you know, their, their roots in a location. And I know like the 496 sure. project, the Pave the Way project, um, Lansing's not unique to have had a highway uh, plopped down in the middle of the neighborhoods and the black neighborhoods and completely disrupt that life. And so in a way, taking away that history. So for the historical society to be not recreating it, but, but, Digging in and, and putting it back out there is uh, an incredible uh, contribution to the community, to, to all of us who live here. Yeah, I think uh, people, you know, 70,000 people drive across I-496 every wow. day, and no one's ever given a thought what was under that expressway. Yeah. I mean, I seldom did. Wow. It's just from here to there, it takes seven minutes to go from one part of the town to the other. But what was lost and the stories that go with it were important to gather Right now, we're working on 100 oral histories that we did. Mm. We planned on doing about 20, but they became so popular, we interviewed 100 individuals about their time in Lansing during the 50s and 60s. And that's going to be important. It's going to be made into a documentary, so we're working on that. 
with the city of Lansing. We're starting to plan next year's walking tours. The walking tours we can do uh, even with a COVID situation. And we usually get about 70 people, which is pretty phenomenal for a tour of a neighborhood. You know, we'll do maybe up to 10 houses or 10 structures and Mm -hmm. talk about who lived there, when they were built, what's the architectural, you know, meaning of it. And architectural is really popular in Lansing, which is, you know, you kind of think, I think that's probably nationwide. People like to know what that little curlicue is called. Yeah. It's really phenomenal. I mean, that wouldn't be something I would have suspected, Mm -hmm. but it's very popular. Nice. That's great. So you mentioned oral histories, and and I'm I'm interested, David, in if that is a tool that you use uh, in any of your classes. I I know that uh, uh, I've known... uh, theater directors who've who've created projects where their students have collected oral histories and then they've built original performance pieces around that. Um, and there's so many different ways of, of ultimately sharing that. But it, does that have an application or is there an opportunity in the classroom for that? Absolutely, there is. And I encourage my students to, um, whenever they're doing research, to conduct interviews if that is something that's going to help them, and uh, including family interviews. I, I always tell my students that oftentimes your grandparents are the best historical source you have. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're lucky enough to you know have grandparents who are still alive and remain in contact with them, and, and so I do encourage them uh, to do that. We, um, we are very fortunate in this area that we have Michigan State University's oral history collection that's accessible and that's one of the the largest depositories of 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 sound recordings of various types including oral histories um that really exists anywhere around and because some of my research has involved interviewing people as part of oral history i absolutely encourage my students to do it and and tell them that when you sit down to interview somebody um it's oftentimes the things that you didn't think you were going to talk about but ended up talking about that are the most insightful. And I, I, I offer them some examples from my own research, and I've, I've had some profound experiences in interviewing people doing historical research because once somebody gets comfortable, and I suspect, Bill, that this is, this is what you guys ran into with the uh, oral interview, you know, the interviews you did with folks there with the 496 Project. Once people are at a level of comfort that they'll start talking and usually that level is achieved when they know that you care what they have to say and that what that person has to say is important they will open up to you um oftentimes people think that the most uh, ordinary things are mundane but they aren't actually those are probably the most important things to study bill you mentioned seventy thousand people drive down 496 every day and hardly anybody probably thought to write a history of the highway. Um, but yet, many more people would be impacted by that highway than would ever be impacted by many of the subjects that are written about in history books. And so I think that oral histories have such a powerful uh, possibility that not only do I, I encourage my students to utilize that tool in their own research, but also to look at what other folks have done. Let me let me give you a quick example. When we did the oral histories of the African American community, one of the oral histories was of a woman uh, who had come from Alabama, 
Um, her, this is typical. Her husband had come up before her to look for work. In fact, he left the day, day after they got married in Alabama to come to Michigan. Wow. <laughs> to had no job, but he had heard there were jobs here from other people. Well, but during the process of doing the oral history, we discovered that she had written letters, or he had written letters to her about his time in Lansing, and those letters have been saved. The letters are so touching. They're, un, they're almost unbelievable. They're wow. s such overwhelmingly uh, show love. Um, so we started looking for more of those stories. And one of the stories that she told was one of the things she brought when she came from Alabama was something that you would think is just like, well, who cares? She brought her washboard wow. on the train huh. up here because that is something she was comfortable with. She knows she'd use it. But like David said, you often find, not often, you always find things that you didn't start out to look for. And that's what I think to me is, you know, the curiosity of being in history is so much fun. Yeah, I, I'll completely echo that. I, um, and a quick example I can give is, it's been quite a few years ago, uh, almost 20 years ago, um, I was working uh, with the Mackinac City Historical Society. Uh, it was a summer internship program I did that um, helped them research some buildings that they were going to possibly move to a historic village. And now 17 18 years after that uh, that historic village has been built and expanded and it's a, a major and very neat attraction there uh, in Mackinac city but one evening when i was there the historical society had invited a guest speaker and he was a gentleman that lived in that area he was an old, old polish gentleman and he had the most um, interesting story to tell and it was a a uh, quite frankly a horrific story in some parts of it because it involved being a teenager in Poland uh, in 1939, 1940, when the war broke out, World War II. And, and he told a story about ending up in Siberia and then uh, literally walking to a port in Iran and then getting on a boat, a ship, and then ending up in the United States. And everybody in the at this moment was just absolutely mesmerized by the story he was telling. Well, a few years later, I interviewed another Polish gentleman for a completely different research project. He told me almost the exact same story. And I was interviewing him to learn about his experience of finding work uh, in a war-torn city in Europe after the Second World War. And out of the blue, he starts telling me this story. And it's it was just absolutely remarkable to hear two people to meet two people that had gone through this experience and the second time i heard the story i was not at all counting on it because that wasn't why i was uh, interviewing the the individual so those are the types of absolutely invaluable experiences that you have when you take the time to talk to somebody and let that person tell his story that's incredible what 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 a saga from each of them. And yet the one thing that strikes me, and this speaks to me, to the value of studying history is the commonality and that, you know, unfortunately, that's not, uh, those aren't the only two people who had that experience, maybe the exact experience, but, but uh, uh, you know, when you think of refugees and, and so many people who have, 
traveled from here to there in, in unbelievable journeys and, and challenges to get to where they are today, which is hopefully a better place. Um, that understanding of that journey, that common human journey over time is such an important role of history. And so to bring it to life with with people who are alive and able to share that is uh, crucial and uh, seems like a really good thing to, to be able to share in the appropriate history class uh, for students to, to understand that, that too. One thing I want to ask, I'm, I'm jumping around here a little bit, uh, but I want to talk about uh, the opportunities for for students you you mentioned David that you know students may transfer they may end up working in the field um, that, that they gain skill sets that can apply to other uh, uh, professional pursuits uh, but in terms of here in Lansing um, how do the our two organizations connect are there there um, you know for students to be able to have opportunities with a historical society is that a kind of a workplace or a, a, you know, to give them field experience? I can answer from one point of view, and this just happened in the last few days. David had a former student who was looking for an internship um, for his history degree from the University of Michigan Flint. And uh, he sent him my way, and we've arranged for him to go in and do um, editing of transcripts of those 100 oral histories. And I just finished a conversation with him today to show him how to do it. Um, you know, it's, it may sound like mundane work, but I know when he gets into it, he's going to learn things he never knew and was never exposed to. And he's going to make those valuable. And we're going to make those public after he's finished with them so people from all over the world can follow these stories. Uh, we're gonna, the other thing is we could uh, work in any way, shape, or form. We've had a lot of interns. They tended to be from MSU. But that doesn't preclude LCC. We want to create a relationship where we can find projects that students want to work on. Yes, that's not, really important. <laughs> yes, not forced to work on, but projects that excite them. And we can always find something. That's that's, that's history's like that. It's, yeah. it's universal. Yes, yes, it 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 truly is. I know. Uh, I know that. I was just reading an article about uh, King Solomon's Mines and. Thinking about the the trade that existed, you know, um, so long ago, and and how it's very easy to look at ruins of uh, you know a, a, a civilization and think that it was primitive when it was so incredibly advanced. And the study of history lets us understand that you know we may be separated by centuries, but we are we have a common humanity that uh, that we all share, no matter who we are and where we where we come from. Um, I think we could talk quite a bit. I have just a couple more questions. That's we fine. just have a little bit more more time. One of the things I want to ask, um, and again, you've both kind of touched on it just a little bit, but what is the role of studying history in in preparing students to be good citizens? You go sure, first. I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. I think that the, our culture is a culture that builds upon itself generation after generation after generation, and that is the history of human civilization. And so in order to really know why things are going on right now in society, uh, you know, 
be that American society, the world writ large, people have to have context to it and they have to know what happened before because the world can be a very confusing place if you are not knowledgeable of why certain things are happening. And oftentimes there has, there's a historical context to it. So right now, the, the probably the nobody's going to be surprised for me to make the assertion that the last two years, the most important event that has emerged or phenomenon has been the pandemic. And some of the same reactions to the the, med, the attempt at controlling the pandemic this time around uh, are reactions that people had 100 years ago when we had a bad flu pandemic that spread across the world. And some of the consequences have been the same. And I think that that's one of many examples I could offer, but the, the, the underlying theme is that when we understand the past, we, we, number one, have an insight as to why certain things happen now. Number two, hopefully we can learn from the way people acted upon certain events or phenomena in the past to try to decide what decisions we're going to make and how we're going to make them now. And, and you know, American history is, I, I, I like to look at it as sort of history that's been sped up because our nation has this ebb and flow of, of these incredible, incredibly compacted periods of change where one event or one phenomenon seems to abruptly stop the way things were and then reset them. That's and such when, a good point. Yeah, I and mean, when we can understand that this has happened before, I think that sometimes that context makes things a little bit easier to take but also, let let the people in the past do some of the heavy lifting for you, so to speak. Uh, you know, if you can find analogy into a problem now that society had to deal with 50 or 100 years ago, and people back then came up with some great solutions to the problem, then you can really use the past to help solve some of the problems that we're dealing with now. I really like that. That uh, and and when I say students, uh, uh, how it can help students be better citizens, I really mean all of us because we all need continually to uh, uh, stay in touch with history and uh, with with our role as as contributing to society. I know we could keep talking, and I think I'll have you both on again in the future. This has been an absolutely great discussion. Um, thank you both very much for being on the show today. Well, thank you, as they say on CNN, for having me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It's been my pleasure. You're absolutely welcome. Thank you, listeners, for listening. To connect with David and Bill, visit our LCC Connect website at lccconnect.org. You'll also find past episodes of this show and other LCC Connect programming that you may listen to on demand. Special thanks to our producer today, Dedalian Lowry, and to Andy Callis for composing our theme music. I'm Melissa Kaplan, and this is Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. 